You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Over 7 million different animals inhabit our planet. This week, I I promise you, it's... Don't stop the podcast. Listen this through because we have an incredible interview on Thursday. What can they teach us? Really, I hadn't really put two, I mean, two and two together until I started reading more about the Bonita mm-hmm. Beach Key Mouse and how they were important in dunes. But coming from Southwest Michigan, growing up. Many species are in crisis and need your help. Join the movement at allcreaturespod.com. Welcome to the All Creatures Podcast. This is Chris. And I'm Angie. Angie, we said we wouldn't do this again, but I think today we'll be fine, you know, doing kind of a two-for-one in an episode. <laughs> well, yes. Well, well, we'll give it a try and we'll let the audience decide. <laughs> right, right. Because we did the Vaquita Porpoise and the River Dolphins together. Mm-hmm. which we both decided it was a little too much to cover two species. But today we are doing the Key Largo Cotton Mouse and the Perdido Key Beach Mouse. So little guys for a big podcast, I guess. Yes. Well, and that's the thing is there was, in some ways, there wasn't a ton of research out there, a lot of data. So some general facts that we'll be able to share with you today. And that's where we thought we'd bump it up with a couple different species, both from my native region of Florida, or my new, yes. I'm not native yes. Floridian, but my new habitat, mm-hmm. my new abode. Yes. <laughs> You're an invasive species too. Mm-hmm. That's kind of a theme this week. Yes. Right? So. Yes. Well, and I've been wanting to do the Perdido, uh, Perdido Beach Key Mouse for a while as, uh, just the, uh, my local zoo, the Santa Fe College Teaching Zoo here has been a big promoter of the species and part of their survival in the wild because they are really endangered. Mm-hmm. And so right. I want, yeah, I'm excited to share their story and, but it is a small story because we don't know a ton about them. And that's where Chris is going to chime in right, with right. other species too, that are experiencing some issues in Florida be- because of the regions yeah. that they live in are pretty small niches. Right, right. So the, yeah, the, the Key Largo cotton mouse it, I always want to say cotton mouth, but it's cotton mouth. <laughs> you probably will say it once a day, but uh, yeah, know, I'll, I hopefully know. I'll be able to catch it. <laughs> and then the Perdido Key Beach Mouse, both are in Florida, but they're at the opposite ends of the state. And we'll talk about where they live here in a minute. But yeah, they're both endangered. This week, I, I promise you, it, it, it's don't stop the podcast. Listen this through because we have an incredible interview on Thursday this it's called the million dollar mouse project. It's, it's a big project here in New Zealand. I have a great interview with Theo Van Nort who traveled to one of the remote places in the sub Antarctic and he, he, he was dealing with some mice. So it's, it's a cool, cool story that I'm going to kind of at the end of today's podcast, kind of give you some insider, um, insider information on this million dollar mouse project. 
So Ooh, spoiler alerts. We love those. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be, it's, it was a cool interview. It's just like this whole story about that travel down there. Like very few people have stepped foot on that Island and, and he's one of them. So this it's is just, called the million dollar mouse project. Yes. Yes. And I'll explain at the end of the podcast of what that is, what actually what it is. So Angie, you know, just getting right into these mice, the, these, both these mice are subspecies, right? Uh, the, Correct. The key, yeah. The key larga mouse is a subspecies of the cotton mouse. And it's also called the, the cotton deer mouse. Mm-hmm. And the Perdido key mouse is a subspecies of the old field mouse. Right. Or they call them beach mouse too, right? So, yeah. I think beach mouse is probably the easier way to remember it. Yeah. And they're super cute. Like those pictures of him. Like I looked them Holy up. Oh my God. Nikes. Ah, <laughs> uh, I don't know about your guy, but my Perdido <laughs> key beach mouse is just adorable. Adorable. It's, it's, it, they're both cute, but the beach mouse is a little tad cuter. I think just the eyes Thank are a little you, bit bigger. Fi- yeah, look, yeah, yeah. We finally agree on something. Yeah, I'll give it to you. I'll give it to you. The they're both unlike the naked mole rat, which is just hideously ugly, but you love. Yeah, them. only like, a mother just... could love that one for sure. <laughs> but you love them. I mean, they're cool. You do. Well, their physiology is just incredible. Now, uh, some of the physiology we're going to get into today about the mouse is pretty impressive. And if you Mm -hmm. stick with us too, we'll be able, you'll be able to learn what part of the mouse, what part of its body never stops growing. Oh, their nose. Remember you told me last week, it was the last week your nose is still growing. (laughs) Yeah. Or like, like old men with their ears. (laughs) Yeah. God, thanks. Thanks. What are you saying? No offense. No offense. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. 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 But yeah, so we're going to cover lots of, lots of cool things, but just to give you a quick little description about my Perdido Key Beach mouse, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. we all know that mice have a pointed snout and the small rounded ears and a long, Mm -hmm. slightly hair, almost hairless tail, if you will. But Mm -hmm, the beach mm -hmm. mouse doesn't look like pretty much any other mouse you've probably seen is it actually has blondish, grayish to creamish to blondish, what it has, different. Light colored fur, which yes. is not abnormal, but it has these gorgeous brown high points. So in between its two ears, almost like a, a blaze, like a horse would have mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. a widow's peak, maybe that a husky would have. It has brown. And then on, on its back, it also has some brown, ta- or light tannish, almost like sand, right? It makes sense to probably mm-hmm. help camouflage mm-hmm. and camouflage, it blends yeah. in well with like the wart, the, the white quartz sand of the gulf beaches and yeah and it's small in size too which obviously most mice are but it's only going to weigh about 13 to 16 grams so just yeah. just a cute little that's really tiny. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah 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 the uh the cotton mouse or the key largo cotton mouse it's a little bit bigger it's more of a medium-sized rodent it's got you know, obviously the large ears and eyes it's a little bit longer up to eight inches or 20 centimeters now my my mouse is a little bit heavier at 45 grams oh wow okay. or one and a half mm-hmm. ounces mm-hmm. <laughs> wow, it's like it's still like it's still so tidy. But uh, this one, it has that white underneath and white feet, but on top it's kind of golden brown and it has a, they they describe it as a dark hazel back and reddish brown side. Oh, okay, yeah. So they're I think they're they're a little bit bigger on the the, the bigger end of the scale of mice uh-huh, uh-huh. versus this, you know, your your beach mouse, which is a little bit smaller. Now, you said they're both from Florida, right? These subspecies Mm -hmm. are. Yours are where? Mine, interestingly enough, are in the panhandle of Florida. So those of you that aren't from the United States might not be familiar with this, but Florida is a very long peninsula. 
And then to our west mm-hmm. is like a, uh, a strip of land that runs parallel. And that's what we call the panhandle. So the Perdido Key beach mouse is going to be found in Perdido Key, Florida, which is pretty much on the most farthest western part of Florida possible to not be in Alabama. And a key in mm-hmm. Florida is loosely just a term for an island off the mainland, but either connects through small land patches or bridges now that are man-made. Mm-hmm. So not like an island that you mm-hmm. traditionally think of an island way off the coast of something. So that's why we call them keys yeah. in Florida because they're sometimes attached, sometimes not, or we've made them be attached. Right, right. Yeah, I, actually, I was there last summer when I was looking at, at, at the mouse you brought up, and I was in St. John's, which is a little bit further east, not much, maybe, I don't know, 10, 20 miles or, you know, was okay. that 40, 40 kilometers away or, mm-hmm. you know, if that. It's so beautiful. I mean, if, now, Chris, if, yes, you yeah, bring something so up. Beautiful. Uh, obviously, John and I have been in Florida now for about mm-hmm. eight or nine years, at least. A while, mm-hmm. and uh, we have not done the panhandle or this, got to. This, this part of Florida. We've been all over, you know, southern, eastern, western. Uh, but yeah, so I yeah. we're gonna we're gonna try to book a trip this fall because we've heard wonderful things about it. And then doing research on this Perdido Key beach mouse, it's just the pictures are breathtaking. Oh yeah, the sand is just beautiful white white so quartz. Like the, it's, yeah, they describe yeah. it as white, like walking around a white diamonds. Sign me up for it's, that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's warm. I mean, it's it's beautiful, and it didn't seem way overcrowded. Like you go to Orlando, or I like going to Cocoa Beach. I love Cocoa Beach. You know, mm-hmm. going to NASA and all that. It's yeah, it's go to the Panhandle, folks. It's beautiful, beautiful beaches, uh, great place. And now it has one of these these animals. Now the one I have is down in Key Largo, Florida, which is the very southeast tip. Mm-hmm. You know, like Andrew was describing the Keys. So it is on the very southern portion and then throughout the Keys there. Um, that's where they're from. Now, both the Old Field and the Deer Mouse, the other subspecies, is all pretty much the southeastern United States. That's where they've evolved. Correct, yeah. Uh, both species from Texas, going up to Virginia, you know, up into Tennessee, maybe parts of Illinois, Indiana. So pretty much the southeastern portion of the United States is where these two big species of mice are. And then Angie and I are talking about two of the subspecies. And just for the habitat for the, the Key Largo mouse, it's the woodlands, the swamps. It likes the trees. It's, you know, it's really bushy areas. Whereas the Perdido Key beach mouse is going to spend most of its time on the beach. That's why I like it so much. That's why I picked it. And mm-hmm. near um, the beach grasses, near the edges of the dunes, and it'll burrow itself into the mm-hmm. dunes at the base of a shrub or the crump or a clump of grass or something with vegetative cover. Which is crazy. You never think of mice living on the beaches, you know? Well, you know, I think that's the thing is yeah. we don't, we, we don't because probably where we, <laughs> we built drove them up. Off. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we drove yeah. them off. We, we don't see them because, well, A, they're nocturnal and B, we scared them all away when in the parts that are yeah. built up. But that's where in some of these more remote places in Florida where, where they are um, and we're trying to build their populations up. That's where, yeah, they, that's where they are. <laughs> so yeah, I wish yeah. we could you, see more of them, but yeah. I know. And even, even when I was doing my research, you look at the news and it's like the Perdido mouse is a big headache for developers. And it's like, yeah, it is <laughs> because they're trying to put a house on every square inch of Florida and right. there's animals that live there that we need for a healthy ecosystem. Exactly. And 
I think that kind of rolls into why I care mm-hmm. about both the key mice, both these mice. One of the things I was reading about the Key Largo cotton mouse is it's critical importance in seed dispersal. Absolutely. It's just something I never... Oh yeah. man, you, you studying hit the, animals. I never really you thought hit the about nail this. On the head. Um, I wasn't really. I hadn't really put two. I mean, two and two together until I started reading more about the Bonito mm-hmm. Beach key mouse and how they were important in dunes. But coming from Southwest mm-hmm. Michigan, growing up on Lake Michigan, for those of you that aren't familiar with the area, which is probably most of our listeners, Lake Michigan is mm-hmm. huge. It's like an ocean. And yeah. it's a beautiful body it of water is, yeah. and we have dunes and we also have a lot of beach grass. And growing up, one of the biggest things that anybody that builds a home on the lake is concerned about or any development is erosion. Erosion is huge because mm-hmm. of in mm-hmm. Michigan, we get some nasty winters and a lot of winds. And obviously the more of the bank and or dunes that erode away, houses will fall fall into the lake basically for the most part so erosion is is obviously very very critical on beach shorelines whether it's lake michigan lake superior or the gulf of mexico or Mm -hmm. you know the atlantic ocean or whatever and so Mm -hmm. yeah it, it took me a little bit to put two and two together that these mice that basically mice are herbivores or grainivores and we'll touch about more mm-hmm. on their nutrition, but they mm-hmm. love seeds and they eat a lot of mm-hmm. them, but they also collect a lot of them. So the, mm-hmm. sometimes when they collect them, obviously they don't eat them all and therefore they enhance dune grass or beach grass populations. Yeah. Growing. Yeah. And then yeah. once those yeah. grasses grow, it's really important because they help stabilize the dunes. And Chris, you know what I found? I, I don't mean to giggle because it's just very interesting. But um, dune stabilization is so important right. that it actually has its own Wikipedia page. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. That's funny. So if you don't believe what I'm saying, folks, Wikipedia. No. Yeah. Uh, but no, it just goes to show how how important it is um, because dune grass, and for just a basic, to simplify it, is that dune mm-hmm. grass grows roots in through the sand, mm-hmm. into the dirt, and that helps basically hinder erosion stabilize, and stabilize yeah. things yeah. for, um, which once again, I guess humans probably really only care because we don't want sand blowing all over the place into our yards all the time. And then, you know, mm-hmm. it helps keep the sand on, in the dunes, but then also it helps keep property lines, you know, more stable and not, da- and not right. damaged and or eroding. Well, and here's, uh, here's another thought too, while you're talking about that. Cause one of the things I remember when I visited St. John's walking around there, there's areas where the sea turtles mm-hmm. come up mm-hmm. and lay their eggs. So those beaches go away. Sea turtles have no sure, way. It's a whole eco, right? right? It's a there's whole another... ecosystem. I mean, many, yeah. many yeah, different so, parts and layers to it. Yeah. So like that, that web of life that, you know, you always talk about the food web, but just that web of interconnectedness that all these animals depend on each other. That we've learned and adjusted through mass extinctions and everything to oh. today. So oh, yeah. that's why people are fighting to save these creatures, you know? It's- and for me, Chris, yeah, talking about dune grass and the erosion and the role that beach mice play in helping hinder some of that or slow some of the beach erosion down. But just in general, for me, one of the reasons I care deeply about this per- 
Perdido Key Beach Mouse, uh, is a, they're so darn cute. Oh, very, yeah, very. <laughs> we'll put the picture yeah. up. And in, and you know what, Chris? I'm not alone. I know obviously some people don't like mice and nobody really wants mice in their house. But I mean, think about it. What's the most famous like animal symbol in the world that's here uh, in Orlando, Florida? Oh, is it that that Lego guy? No, just kidding. No, no, <laughs> yeah. you're getting you're getting warmer. Okay, try again. <laughs> they, I've spent many a dime there. Yes, I grew up. See, I grew up in California next to Disneyland. Okay, so it was really yeah. cool to have my sons growing up next to Disney World. Sure. I mean, so yeah. I mean, we have Mickey Mouse. You know, 1928 Walt Disney Mickey Mouse was mm-hmm. the first. Mouse character be used in children's cartoons and animation. Mm-hmm. But I mean, think about it. We have Tom and Jerry, little Stuart, mm-hmm. Speeding Gonzalez. So for as many people that don't like them and want to scream and stand on chairs when they see them, there's probably more people that are in love with their cute little noses and their whiskers and oh, those big ears and those tiny eyes. So, but. So for me, I really just enjoyed learning a lot about the, the different mice species that we're covering today. And I think with the bear, yeah. with the Perdido Key Beach Mouse, um, another really important reason that I care is their story. And so just briefly, the Perdido Key Beach Mouse was listed as endangered and as an endangered species back in 1985. Um, some of us were just being born. Others of us in this podcast have been around for a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Angie. Thanks. <laughs> I'm falling asleep already. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> uh, no. Um, no, but and so a lot of this, of course, being on the beach um, was the loss of habitat due to development. And then in Florida, we're uh, we're subjected to hurricanes here, and so and so researchers pre- think that uh, in the mid 1990s, when like Hurricane Aaron and Opal just nailed the beaches mm-hmm. there where they live, um, that it really just made their numbers crash right. and and the Perdido Key Beach Mouse was less than 40 30 to 40 individuals after these storms. Oh wow, yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, and so with help from both the state, federal agencies and zoos, so a lot of different bodies mm-hmm. working together which is obviously a model that has been shown to, mm-hmm. to work here in the United States. They developed breeding programs to maintain a healthy and as genetically diverse as possible uh population living under human care. And since then, many offspring, similar to like the black-footed ferret, have been released in Perdido Key to help the wild stock rebound from these hurricanes. And current estimates are populations potentially over 500. So mm-hmm. they have, you know, they have definitely rebounded. Mm-hmm. And we've talked about several species on this podcast that were down into really low numbers, 20, mm-hmm. 30, 40. And so interestingly enough, the Perdido Key beach mouse is a really good model for studying small populations mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. genetic bottlenecking and the issues yeah. that can come when you have a lower amount of individuals and should, you know, we always, Chris and I often ask the question to some of the people we interview, you know, should you put all these resources into a species that has only 40 left or 50 left right. or whatever it is. Right. And so, um, interestingly enough, we'd always ask that question, right, Chris? And yeah, yeah, uh, each species. Mm-hmm. And so, and I was actually able to find a recent paper out of the Journal of Mammalogy that went ahead and, and kind of studied this for the most part. Yeah, right. They looked at, um, the title of the paper is Reintroduction of Captive Born Beach Mice 
the importance of demographic and genetic monitoring. And this is a group out of uh, University of Florida, but also Texas Tech, and of course, the Florida Fish, Wildlife, and Conservation Commission. And the paper was uh, issued just last year in 2017. And basically, they just studied 48 captive-born mice that were released in March 2010 and then monitored with live trapping through over five years. And initially, they found that the number of mice had declined uh, to only 13 individuals, and they, uh, but then it definitely increased to over 206 after five years. And their genetic monitoring showed decrease in diversity during the first three months, but by year five, the genetic diversity actually had actually had increased. And so they think that there was mm. maybe some mingling with some stragglers from other, uh, from the wild stock before, which is great, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. the study actually was able to demonstrate the feasibility of using captive born beach mice to reestablish populations when the wild populations are either too small or, um, they're not able to be translocated. So, so that's another huge I success it, story. I mean, yeah, yeah, huge yeah, yeah, yeah. Success story. That you and, don't hear about. And you yeah. know, I, no, we, no, you, nobody's talking about this, mm-hmm. but we're talking about it, right? Mm-hmm. That's true. That's true. <laughs> we're going to make, put them on the map. Everybody listen. Yeah. Put them on exactly. the map. Exactly. And so I, yeah. And, and, and you and I will get to in life cycle and reproduction, but mice are really, really cool to study oh, for yeah. many different reasons. And that's my, and that's so in summary, the, Perdido Key Beach Mouse is a, an amazing conservation success story. And we're going to highlight more of it in the end, what zoos are doing uh, to help these guys survive. Uh, but that also leads to the um, the other thing that's not ever talked about. And since we are doing a rodent, um, or since we're doing a mouse, I'm just going to mm. go on my quick one minute, I promise it'll only be one to two minute uh, high horse or soapbox and talk a little bit about the fact that many mice and rats or rodents in general mm-hmm. are used for medical testing and medical right. um, procedures, research, yeah. research, research in, in the research industry. And now obviously not the Perdido key beach mouse or right. the mouse species you, you're, you're covering, but I just, I always said that if I was president, I would make, I know they have shark week, and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and, and, you know, they have all sorts of different days that celebrate different animals. Well, goodness, for goodness sakes, if it was up to me, I think there should be a, a laboratory research animal day where, yeah. We, yeah. especially for the rodents, where we celebrate what they have done for us and what they continue to do for us and the medical breakthroughs. A lot of people wouldn't be alive if it wasn't for the sacrifices that many, many, many rodents have made. For millions, that. yeah, probably. I don't know. Yeah, yeah I mean, millions. I mean, a, <laughs> yeah, a lot. Yeah. And and yeah. and we need them. And they're and they're 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 given a, the welfare standards have really increased as far as their care when um, they're living in a laboratory setting, and and people are always looking for ways to humanely improve it. There's people that aren't researchers don't know this, but anything you if you even want to like look at an animal, you have to run it by animal use and care committees or what's, what does Aya Cook stand for? <clears throat> Institutional animal yeah, use so and that, yeah, Aya Cook and, control or mm-hmm, something like that. And yeah. So, yeah. and it doesn't even matter. Yeah. If you just like literally want to look at the animal and so, and they're making sure that the animal is taken 
care of in the be- in the most humane way possible and you're not yeah there's a lot of there's a lot of laws so that, many laws that people you know, don't in the know United about States. yeah and so they are well taken care of and i will say mice are the number one organism i think in medical research as far as looking at new drugs new vaccines testing things because what we're going to get into a little bit, wait till I get to some of the evolution. It's, it's incredible. Some of the stuff that they're seeing today, but their generation intervals really quick. So they're a very effective model to use. And if it wasn't for them, diseases would be running rampant through the human populations, but we wouldn't be so many billions of people. So anyways, there should should be a national day to celebrate laboratory animals are um, <laughs> mice. yeah lavatory animals but yeah mice are always the first things and then rats are a bigger one and then you know dogs cats horses things that we use cows those are a mm-hmm. lot less um, used because that and then, you know and then because you got to do all these trials and like if we're going to introduce a new drug what just to give some people some background or inside insider knowledge you know you have to see what the side effects are so they give a a, a, a t- you know a mouse, two doses, three doses, four doses, five doses, a thousand doses to see what happens, you know, because you don't want to be giving this to the human population. You know, you don't want people dropping dead. So anyway, it's a whole philosophical discussion too. Yeah, it's probably a different pod for the different day, but I had to give my mice a shout out. Like, no, but it's, it's, yeah, it's good that you, you nodded your head to that because that's, that's definitely a, it's probably a touchy subject for some people for sure, but. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah. animals, these animal rodents in particular, especially mice have done yeah. more for humanity than most. Yeah. 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 For sure. For sure. And that's why that, why should we care? That's why these guys are living in the wild with critically yeah. low numbers because of us humans. Yeah. Man, yeah. we got to step up. We owe it to them. We owe it to them because. Yeah. It, it rolls into evolution. It's. You know, and not their, their historical evolution. I'm going to talk about like what we're seeing today. Modern evolution is, it's insane, but I will just start out by saying that, that mice or rodents are some of the oldest mammals on earth and mice in general started about 70 million years ago. Wow. So they lived, they That's lived old. when dinosaurs, yeah, they were around when dinosaurs, T-Rex were walking around. That's, that size discrepancy is hard for me to visualize, though. Yes, yes. I wonder if dinosaurs were, you know, there's that, um, I'm sure, I think it's folklore that elephants are afraid yeah. of mice. I don't think there's any scientific yeah, proof. There's none. But there's I none. wonder if like dinosaurs are like, ah, you know. <laughs> yeah, they're like food. Um, <laughs> but yeah, they survived the fifth mass extinction. So when that big they're tough, comet man. or asteroid hit the Yucatan, yeah. Now, Angie, I didn't know this. I honestly did not know this today. You would think after doing this podcast for so long, I would have known this. I didn't realize 40% of all mammals on Earth are rodents. Isn't that incredible? I had no idea. I had no idea. Yeah, they're they're tough cookies, man. I love it. Yeah, yeah. That's why we feel like we're probably going to feel like we're doing a lot of rodents on the podcast. But in general, it's just because there are more of them. Yeah, they're everywhere. I mean, they're, yeah. And it's crazy how good, how successful they are, which we'll get to. The, the genus is Paromyscus and uh, both, both mice, the both key mice that we're covering. And these are kind of known as the new world mice. So mice in North America. And there's 53 different species. 
Now, just quickly to sum up some of this specific evolution here, which is really interesting, is I found a study, and I'll see if I can link it in the show notes. It's Rodent Evolution Back to the Root. Oh, cool. So if anybody's really diehard, wants to read molecular biology. If somebody can't sleep tonight. (laughs) Yes. But it was really cool because I was was reading through it and pulling out some excerpts from it. So they're looking at DNA evidence, comparing the DNA of all these different rodents. And they really have it into three Claudae. So there's the mouse related. Then there's the Satenohistrica. And then there's squirrel related Claudae. Now, yeah, it was really, really cool. So obviously ours are in the mouse related Claudae. And they think these rodents began in Asia. And then about 55 million years ago is when they started spreading out. That's when they were like, so they were like, probably I want to go to the around- beach. <laughs> well, it could be because after that mass extinction event that the, the, the total sure. climate change that yeah. happened, right? That was dinosaurs wiped out plus predators wiped out dead. So now these very successful animals just proliferated. We're like, I want to go to the except- beach. <laughs> Yeah, except, except Angie, this one is crazy. I did not know this. So the, the, it's so hard to, it's C-T-E-N-O, Hystrica. Oh, yeah. So Ceteno Hystrica mm-hmm. is only in South America. So they spread out everywhere, but South America. Well, so I'm imagining like the P- Panama or yeah. the Isthmus there was, was over water and they been. couldn't spread out mm-hmm. there. So they, some people hypothesize, I never knew this. It's called ocean dispersal. Dispersal, it kind of makes sense. Vegetation getting blown from storms and stuff through the seeds or through, you were talking about seed dispersal. The seas or oceans pushing seeds and other plants Mm -hmm. across. They think some of these animals and even insects were like floating on these rafts of vegetation from Africa to South America. Yeah, that was crazy. I did not know that, that, that hypothesis that is, or whatever. I've never heard that before. That's a long but, ride on a raft. I mean. Yes, yes, yes. And, you know, we talked cookie. about mm-hmm. the hippos going to Madagascar. Right. You know, probably, I don't know if they were raft dispersal. They, they think they maybe swam and dropped off some islands. But yeah, so this whole different, uh, segment of, of, Animals. So you got the agouti, uh, the porcupines, the nutra, chinchillas, mm-hmm. a lot of things that originated in South America. And then obviously some of them pushed north into North America. Sure. Um, yeah. Now our specific genus difference differs from Miridae, which is the largest family okay. of rodents that has over 700 species. That's common mm-hmm. mice. So ours are a little bit different, right? So ours are, are, uh, kind of unique. This is what blew me away, Ange. This is kind of the, 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 I always like to go down what, at least one rabbit hole each week. Kind of like, okay, let me yeah, do some drilling yeah. here. What'd you find? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Evolution of today's mice. Because like you said, and, and, and you gave them the nod in medical research, they have this quick generation interval. So they can adjust relatively quickly in a okay. geological time frame. Okay. I'm not saying no. in a month or a year or a decade. Or even maybe, eh, maybe a century, maybe 100, 200 years is, is long enough for them to adapt. But it, they're looking at some of these different mice. So in deer mice, one study I looked at, they looked at the genetics of the same species in the highlands of, of Colorado. So in the elevations and the lowlands of Kansas, exact same species of deer mouse. And they looked at the genes, the genetics. Only four genes were different between the two. 
So which ones do you think would be different? You have ones living in the mountains, one living on the, the plains. Probably ones related to temperature, elevation. What do you do when you are high up? What's what's low oh, oxygen. besides temperature? Yeah. So you're right. Thermal regulation, which is – that wasn't one of the genes that they, they saw. But still, that's a good thought. Thank so you. Dr. Angie is here in the house. <laughs> on my late, but on oxygen, my late yes. night, my late Monday night. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. But it's oxygen. Yeah. yeah. It was it was oxygen. Four genes related to oxygen. Now, that was a cool study. I was like, okay, that's kind of cool. This one, Ange, this one was incredible. So this is uh, Dr. Jason Munchie South. He did a study at the genetic differences between same species of mice, these woodland mice in New York City. Okay. And then just outside New York City in like, you know, the okay. forest. So, <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, and what, it, talk about gene yeah, differences. Yeah. Okay. Due to natural selection. Man, I know. So I think I know the gene. Crazy. Is it like, okay. Is yeah. it like the kind of tough, like street smart? Yeah. The, the, they got the, the, the twang. What's the New York twang? I can't. Yeah. They, a, a little, a little Bronx <laughs> accent. They had tattoos on their ears. Yeah. yeah I mean, they were, you know, they were tough. <laughs> they drive like crazy, <laughs> like bats out of H-E double hockey sticks. <laughs> Yeah, we love our we love our friends from Angie's husband's from Boston, and uh, we love our friends in New York. Uh, so no, so you, you're kind of on the right track though. The genes for recognizing the disease and pathogens, uh-huh. so they had immune system adaptations were different. Okay, because in a city you're it's dirty. You're up against yeah, <laughs> dirtier, different, different. This 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 one genes that help detoxify pollutants. There it is. Awesome. That was fascinating. Sure. Like and it makes sense. This is how evolution, natural selection, all of this stuff works. You have these mice in the city, the ones that can't survive the diseases, the ones that can't survive the pollutants in the water or in the sewers or whatever the air. smells there mm-hmm. are in New York, the air. <laughs> The food, all that stuff. Actually, New York's got really good food. Oh, they have amazing but, food. Dude, yeah, yeah, yeah. I love Chicago deep dish, but man, New yeah. York thin. Uh, yeah, I don't New know. York I don't know what New I would have to pick. I don't know what I yeah, could pick. Yeah. What I'd pick. So, the, what, so the mice that couldn't adapt died off, right? And the ones that, that had these genes that let them survive passed them on. And that's natural selection at work. That so it's incredible. just, it's amazing. Yeah, I want to see the follow-up yeah, in people. Just, yeah. <laughs> And it's just, it just shows rodents, these mice, they, they survive and thrive in some very, very hostile environments. Kind of plays into the interview on Thursday that I'm going to touch upon at the end of the podcast. And, well, and I think it also touches on the fact that like, like, given, given their ability to be able to adapt, they seem mm-hmm. historically for 70 million years that they've been able to adapt pretty well. Right. Yeah. But. When it is you... just, it's just now because of humans mm-hmm. and habitat loss and just infrastructure mm-hmm. going up at a crazy rapid rate mm-hmm. that they can't compete with. There's no gene no. that can save them that they can adapt to to deal with that, right? Yeah. So it's like, you know, you're like, it, they can adapt and they do and they do thrive. But when you take them out of the dunes or you take them out of Key Largo – then you start breaking down that natural ecology or the natural environment. So do you want to build this million dollar house on the beach? 
in the panhandle with knowledge in 10 years, those dunes are I think gone. It, it'd probably be more like a couple million. <laughs> That's pretty expensive. Yeah. yeah. But it's like, you a know, mil- the just dunes a million for the land, a million for the land. And then, and, but yeah. It's stupid. Money. Yeah. And it's then the dunes money. are gone. You know, and they're the gone. The dunes are gone. And, 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 and all the little critters that live there yeah. and depend on it and need it and are gone. And I, yeah. and I don't think that that's, and I don't know, I'm not educated enough on this situation. Um, but this is doing this pod has definitely inspired, inspired me to want to learn more. I, I don't think that conservationists or, uh, activists are saying don't ever build a house or a condo on a beach. No. I think they're just asking for obviously probably more state and federal lands so these animals can have some natural habitat, which humans can enjoy too through mechanisms such as just hiking or potentially camping, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, doing lower key stuff on there. So making it more for everybody than for just like the mm-hmm. five people that visit their, like coming from Southwest Michigan. Yeah. Snowbirds. When I grew up, yeah. When I grew up, everybody, well, no, in my, in my little beach town where I grew up, People could build homes near or on the beach, but now it's basically only the very, very, very wealthy people have bought out all the homes. They knock them down. They build McMansions and Chris, they come there like seriously twice a year, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. And all the local people, we have to all live inland and go to the public beach and all cram onto the one, you know, the few public beaches that we have in my town. Which is still a gorgeous town. Don't get me wrong. I have yeah, yeah, been yeah. going check out South Haven, Michigan. It rocks, but in the summer, in, in the, the summer, summer. <laughs> and the fall <laughs> pretty too. But yeah, yeah. In, in the summertime is great. But yeah, so it's just interesting. I mean, a lot of these houses and tourists and things like that. It, it does, at least in my hometown, they come once or twice a year, and they're not really supporting the local. Economy, economy, paying yeah, taxes yeah. to help the, the the school systems improve or the roads mm-hmm. improve, things like that. And so it, it's an interesting, but the, the, of course, when they come in the summertime, they bring a lot of money in their mm-hmm. boats, their yachts and all this stuff. So it's an interesting debate, but I'm glad that like, I know in my area, we definitely have a lot of um, natural reserves right, right, for right. the critters that live around that area. And so the, the, the beach grass and other um, plant species, native plant species can grow and do fine. Yeah. So I think it's we just need to be like a, good. It's a balance. Yeah. We need to be good custodians of the environment. That's all we're doing. You know, every week we talk about what these are things we can do. You know, people that want to buy property in Florida, go to St. John's. That's where I went. We camped on the little inlet there. It was beautiful. Got to walk on the beach. There was tons of families there with their kids camping. So, you know, we got to enjoy the, the natural. Landscape at, right, a, at, at a national so, park, right? A national yeah. park, exactly. Yeah, yeah, or a state park. Maybe it was a state park. All right, and, and Angie, we talked about you know quick life cycle. These guys, these guys and little gals don't live very long. Fifteen months sure. in the wild is the longest, yeah. really. But the average is four to five yeah, months. Yeah, I, I found six so, in the wild. Mm-hmm. Six months. Yeah, yeah, not very long. Yeah, that's it. That's their life. That's their lifespan. But it's but in a, as a pet, they're nocturnal in a, in a lab or um, potentially as a pet, they can live. Um, up to two years. Yeah, up yeah. to two years. Up to two years. Yeah, so they're nocturnal, so good smelling, good hearing, you know, to avoid predators. Yeah, things and, like well, that. and I was reading about mice in general, just because there's not a ton of information on the Perdido Key Beach mouse. But in general, mice, of course, use their whiskers to sense changes in temperature and help feel the surfaces they're walking along. But they also do some kind of superhero stuff, mm-hmm. which I, I can't wait to share with Xander. Yeah. Um, they have basically supersonic hearing. Yeah. So a mouse's hearing 
is superb compared to ours. And research can, has shown that mice can hear ultrasound up to 90 kilohertz. Wow. And so, yeah, I mean, we can hear them squeak, but that's at the lower sounds. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And they can also jump really high too. So standing on, if you're scared of one, standing on a chair really isn't going <laughs> to. It's a stupid, it's much. the stupidest thing on earth. Why are we scared of a little mouse? They're so scared oh, of I'm us. Not. Oh, I love them. Yeah. Um, and they also are great climbers. So yeah, they're kind of like yeah. little superheroes. Yeah, I yeah, think, yeah. Which that's is, funny. Yeah. That's funny. Now I saw the range. It's, you know, and I think looking up some of yours too, the, the, the average range is like half to a little bit over an acre, which I just said is like half or a full football field or pitch. Mm-hmm. So wherever you live in the world, you know, if it's American football or soccer football, uh, it's about the full size of that. That's their whole range. Right. Right. Now the, the males range a little bit farther than the females. Here you go. Males a buck, females a doe. Baby's a pinky. Aww. Now, groups can be called a nest or – did you find this one? No. This one's really cute. I love these. I love how they call these groups. It's called a mischief. Oh, well, that like, – Like, isn't that perfect? <laughs> yeah, that is perfect. I like a, a pinky, group. though. I want to start calling my little – my baby. Yeah. Zach's not a baby. And my girlfriend's like, you have to stop calling him a baby. He's almost two years old, but he's like my I know, baby. I know, I know. I'm going to start calling my, oh, my, my little – Oh, my seven-year-old's still my I know. Baby. He's gonna be my, I'm going to start calling my little yeah. pinky. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Now, the, you know, the thing about these mice, raptors eat them, owls, coyotes, oh, yeah. wolves, bobcats, snakes, but that's, fox, weasels, But that's skunks. part of their ecological niche though, right? So you, you take, right. yeah, you it is. take them away and a lot of the animals higher up on the feed, the food chain are going to be hurting. Yeah. Except feral cats. And we'll get to that in conservation. Like feral yes. cats are, I love cats. I love my cats. They're just death to wildlife. They're horrible to wildlife. They are. They yeah. are. Uh, you know, and one of the things, Angie, you said, you, you know, the, the grain of ores, herbivores, uh, the key largo uh, cotton mouse is more of an omnivore. You know, they'll eat other mollusks, oh, fungus, okay. either dead animals, you know, that they may munch on. They're just very opportunistic, which makes them again, super successful. Well, and see my, crazy. yeah. And so my guys, the Perdido key beach mouse, they, they like, um, Oh, uh, seeds of the sea oat or the blue stem, which are types of dune grass. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, once in a while they will eat insects, but unlike other rodents, they shun people and they do not want to be near trash or they don't eat trash. No. They're not trashy. <laughs> they're snooty, no. yeah, they're... snooty beach mice. Uh, but in general, Chris, <laughs> yeah. I thought it was really interesting. I, I mean, it makes sense because they're so small and animals with smaller metabolisms need to eat more per day or eat mm-hmm. more frequently per day. Uh, but um, uh, in general, a mouse eats about fifteen to twenty times a day, and so therefore, oh, yeah, wow. and so therefore, they usually build their home close to food sources, and will we'll travel you know, up to eight meters from their burrows to find food. But they do visit the food stations multiple times, of course, in an evening because they're nocturnal, or at nighttime. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I wish I had their metabolisms yeah, cool. and could eat fifteen to twenty times a day. That's for sure. <laughs> no kidding. No kidding. No and kidding. then, the, and then the only, um, and since we are in nutrition, just to, uh, one of the little things we talked about earlier in the podcast, should I give the spoiler right now about which body part? Yeah. Can, no. Yeah. 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 Is it their tail? I, that's what I kind of thought. Well, Chloe, I'm in, I think the other okay. end, I'm in nutrition. So teeth. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. Their teeth. Oh yeah. 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 Duh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Squirrels. Yeah, much, squirrels teeth mice, just grow. like a lot yeah. of the other rodents we've covered. Yeah. Uh, they have yep. a set of incisors teeth that never stop growing. And their yep. teeth grow yep. at a rate of 
0.03 millimeters a day. Hmm. That's crazy. Pretty interesting. Yeah. So that's why they they chew on things. Obviously, if they're in your in your house, sometimes cables. Yes, yes. Wood, whatever. That's what they know. Uh, yeah. In order, mm-hmm, in order to dull their teeth down. Yeah, yeah. So one of the behaviors I know there wasn't a lot on there. Uh, the one thing I found is they do do tor- torpor. And Ooh. yeah, instead Tell me of more wind- about that. Yeah, so I know some mice in the northern latitudes where it's colder, they'll actually kind of like hibernate. This one mm-hmm. is for these mice during the hot summer months, they go into like it's a hibernating like state. So their body temperature drops, heart met- metabolic rate drops, and they it, it's almost like hibernation for a day or two or a few days. Then they'll come out and eat a little bit and then go back and kind of sleep. So it's when like resources are low. Summertime siestas, right? Yeah, exactly. I, man, exactly. I think I've been in torpor these past couple of weeks here in Florida. Yeah, I'm still in torpor. <laughs> <laughs> it's cold. I'm torpor in the winter, man. Uh, uh. Well, and honestly, Chris, not a ton is known about the life history and neuroecology of the southeastern beach mouse. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But a lot of times they can take data and inferences from other studies. And we they do know the Perdido Key Beach mouse. Of course, it's nocturnal. And they build, mice in general build very complex burrows. They have long instances and they'll have escape routes. The other mm-hmm. thing too that people probably don't think about uh, when they think of mice, because you don't want them in your house and you think they're dirty or you think diseases, but that's not entirely true. Uh, mice are actually very clean and they're, and especially mm-hmm. the beach mouse, they're tidy little rodents that also often have separate areas for storing food, sleeping, sometimes even going to the bathroom. So the, the technical, the technical words are tunnel, chamber, and escape tunnel. And yeah, yeah. yeah. It's and like so mole rats. Yeah. My, uh, my beach mouse will usually burrow entrances into uh, the sloping side of a dune at the base of a shrub or a clump of grass. And mm-hmm. sometimes the beach mouse can have as many as 20 burrows within its home range. And they'll also sometimes use, which I think is cool, they'll use old burrows that were constructed by ghost crabs. So they'll do a little, oh yeah, a, yeah, a little, a little yeah. home recycling, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and then I, That's yeah, good. and then what they, the, it also, and it's also been reported that they're more active under stormy conditions or moonless nights. So they like it dark. Mm-hmm. And they're less active when the, when yeah, the moon's out. Yeah, so and that's the thing too, when you start thinking about and we'll, we'll, when we get to beach, um, when we get to sea turtles, we'll touch more on this, but all the artificial lights on beaches. Yes. Yes. Yeah. yes so, um, yes. But, yeah. and even more interesting, the Perdido Key Beach Mouse actually mates for life, which is pretty unique for rodents. Um, so that's, that's, that's pretty mm-hmm, cool. And mm-hmm. they do, they establish family groups and territories and a lot, uh, complex social structures that, to be honest, is really hard to study in mice in general, but of course, it, even more so in, in beach mm-hmm. grass or dune, these mice that live in dunes because, well, they're mm-hmm. underground all the time. <laughs> well, and you think about, I mean, I know somebody out there is studying mice behavior, not in a lab, sure. but in like the wild. It's just, there's so many right. of them, right? So, so when we're looking for specific information on, on these specific mice, it's just not a well, lot there. Well, yeah, and I think, I, and for I, me, I think there's like obviously lots of species and subspecies of mice, but there's very few Perdido key beach mouse. So, yeah, very, so very that's true. hard to study. But we definitely do know, um, with in general with rodents, of course, they communicate with each other, which is in a variety of ways. They use their mouth, their noses, their ears, their bodies, and a lot of their vocal communication is actually. Once again, it's outside of the human range. 
It's in that ultrasonic region. Mm-hmm. Uh, but of course we can hear their squeaks. Everybody knows what a, um, a mice squeak or squeal can sound like because we can hear the lower range. Uh, but mm-hmm. what's interesting, Chris, I came across a study, but the rabbit hole that I went in this week, Chris, well, I actually went in a few of them, but the most, the one yeah, that was yeah, the yeah. most fun is about rodent communication or mice communication, more or less. So not the Perdido key beach mouse, but mice in general surprisingly speak a sophisticated language of love. Mm. So they communicate to each other and they use this ultrasound communication, which we can't hear to one another. And it's been found they even, they serenade each other with love songs. So yeah, Yeah, let's check this out. Researchers out of Duke University, a team of neuroscientists, basically measured and were able to interpret mice communicating to each other and they found that male mice sing different songs depending on where the females hmm. are. I think that's huh. true, right? Like, yeah, I know, yeah, like, yeah, John, yeah. You know, like, I know. When Do I, you have different game for different types of? Yeah, women? like when I'm out of town, <laughs> yeah. John will sing all by myself. Oh God! <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. You actually sing really well. Yeah, just kidding. But I can't imagine John singing yeah, that. No, but he uh, <laughs> uh, he actually does a really funny imp- interpretation of a song. Yeah. That song, but yeah, no. So yeah. he might sing that when I'm gone, and then you know when I'm here, it's like you know YMCA or I don't know some kind of fun part, some yeah. kind of fun party <laughs> song or something. That's probably not the the best one I'm doing off the top of my head. So feel free to cut that out. Okay. But but no. But seriously, what these researchers found is that um, the co- complexity of their serenades depend on whether or not the females are in direct line of sight. So males that could see okay. the females, so the males that could see the females right. sang straightforward love ballads. Okay. So I don't mm-hmm. have an example, darn it. I'm not that witty tonight. Um, yeah. Yeah. While females that were exposed to just the female urine. Okay. So can't see her, but they could smell her. Mm-hmm. So it suggested that she might be around, maybe playing hard to get emitted much more complicated vocalizations. Hmm. And if you stick with me, I have a clip of these ultrasonic, ultrasonic love songs. That's really cool. That's really cool. Yeah, it's crazy, you know, how these different vocalizations that we get to listen to. It's, well, it's pretty and, fun. And I just think, too, it goes to show we're just still learning so much about these guys and their communication and their complex social structures. So, and obviously they're good singers and they have a different reason to sing their songs. So, right. uh, yeah, it'd be really, right. it'd be a darn shame if, uh, if the Perdido Key Beach Mouse went extinct before we could learn its song. You know, the, the conservation status of both these species, they're, they're both subspecies. Mm-hmm. They're both endangered, recognized by the Fish and Wildlife Service of the United States. The, the, the greater species, the cotton mouse and the old field mouse, they're at least concerned IUCN, but these subspecies are, and there are other subspecies that are already extinct. Correct. We're not, we don't have time so, to touch on all of them today. Yeah. In future pods, yeah. I hope we'll spend more time because yeah. Uh, like you said, rodents are about forty percent of our of our mammals, so they deserve uh, they deserve, right. deserve some more attention. But yeah, there's a lot of them. Um, some are doing just okay, yeah. but yes, there are a lot of them that are also 
um, endangered yeah, or threatened. Like I said, if not ex- like Chris yeah, said, feral cats. Extinct. Though I know for the the Key Largo cottonmouse, the number one threat is feral cats. They're just horrific. Uh, that's why you know we we don't want feral cats out there. They're they're really doing a, a, a hard thing in nature. Still here in New Zealand, that's a big thing. Feral dogs and cats killing kiwis. Pollution. Burmese pythons now in the Keys. That wow. is another thing. Yeah, we don't have that yeah. problem with the Panhandle yet, thank goodness. So who should we give a shout out to this week? Well, I just want to give a quick shout out to um, three institutions, zoological institutions in Florida that are doing amazing work with the help from state and federal agencies to help protect this Perdido Key beach mouse. And so it's the Brevard Zoo, which is located in um, central eastern Florida, kind of near the... You've been right. Awesome. Mm-hmm. I just went last year. I I just on a, on a whim. We were in Cocoa Beach, like I said last Thanksgiving. Yeah, I was gonna say it's in near November. Your, it's near your favorite Cocoa Beach, so you can kind of. Get and to we do... drove down to it. It's a cra- It's a beautiful zoo. If you've not been to the Brevard Zoo, go please. It is a beautiful zoo. Awesome. And then the other one is the West Palm Beach Zoo, which I've been to, and it's a charming zoo and a gorgeous mm-hmm. community. I I think the West Palm, uh, the West Palm Beach. Not that I've been to every beach in Florida, but it's definitely one of my top beaches that I've ever been right. to because it's literally like the Caribbean. The water is so yeah, beautiful. Yeah, see, yeah. you know, you can be all the way up to your neck and see down to your feet. It's stunning. Right, and the right. zoo is awesome there. And once again, West Palm Beach uh, does a nice job working in, in collaboration with these other zoos to help protect the Perdido Key Beach Mouse. And then lastly, mm-hmm. um, the third zoo that works with these guys is, of course, the Santa Fe College Teaching Zoo. Uh, oh, that place? Yeah, that place. <laughs> isn't, isn't that director a little crazy? He's, mm. And his wife's driving him well, a little crazy. only when but... I'm gone and he sings, Oh, by <laughs> myself. Uh, <laughs> One of my favorite places on earth. Yeah, I so, love that and, teaching you know, zoo. And, yeah. and guys, um, these zoos, like I said, they're working with state and federal agencies, not with a lot of money or a lot of resources, but they're putting so much time to and energy and passion and love and to develop breeding programs of these Perdido Key Beach mice to, to help maintain uh, a healthy and genetically diverse population living under human care. And many of these offspring have been released in Perdido Key to help the wild stock rebound from hurricanes. And so today I want to give a big shout out. That's a great story. Yeah. A great story. And, and I want to give a big story. shout yeah. out um, to, you know, I'll maybe try to get an interview sometime with, with Kathy Russell. She's uh, one of the main curators at the Santa Fe college teaching zoo that goes out mm-hmm. once, if not twice a year working, you know, all hours of the day and night out in the field, out on uh, Perdido key, helping count trap, do, all these things with these mice and making recommendations for breeding. I mean, she's just, and this is yeah. all volunteer. I mean, she works at the zoo. Yeah. We all know yeah. zoo people don't get paid very much. And she's nope. just very passionate about these um, beach mice. And a lot of, she's been at the zoo for man, like probably 20 ish plus years. And her, you know, yeah. she's individually one of the reasons that, the animal, you know, that these, their numbers have gone up from 40 to yeah, it's a, like she's 500. an eco warrior. I yeah, mean, she is you know, a, I think a Dr. Cottrell there in Florida and Gainesville. She is a wildlife you know, hero. People, oh, they are. I mean, yeah, they all are yeah. at all of these zoos. And I, and of course there's people at Brevard yeah. Zoo and West Palm Zoo. I don't know them by yeah. name. Um, if, yeah, somebody, yeah, if yeah. somebody does let me know because they're doing really cool programs with a Paradito Key Beach Mouse and, and they're on exhibit there. Unfortunately, you can hardly ever see them because you go to the zoo during the day and they're all sleeping. Yeah. And they're not nocturnal. <laughs> 
phenomenal. Yeah, but yeah, their yeah, exhibits yeah. are beautiful because they use the white sand. Beat the, you know, they of course they yeah. use all natural enclosures and habitats to mimic um, the beach and the beach grass, and so they're beautiful, beautiful exhibits. Um, but yeah, you, you're lucky. <laughs> If you ever see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's how it should be. So that's how it's supposed to be, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was just thinking, shout, shout out to Alicia. I know you've been talking to her. You're, when you go to Chicago, I know. she's like, like you're gonna go to Cincinnati, she's my new buddy. You're gonna have, yeah, Christina and you are gonna have beers with Fiona, and then you're gonna go hang out with Alicia at Brookfield. I can't and wait. And then all your friends at Lincoln Park. I know. Oh my gosh. And, ho- and hopefully spoiled. throughout this podcast, we'll make more friends that I can visit and just just do that for like every yes. summer. Just go visit all my podcast friends and do we yeah, get if you're in new zealand or australia hit me up please i want to come visit i know Purdue, we could do like some live or... interviews that would be yeah. awesome like yeah. on the show yeah take, be awesome. i would love to take this take the show on the road that'd yeah. be awesome so conservation tip this week here's one and i'm going to be building on this how to be a better camper eco-friendly but buy reusable water bottles i don't think we've said that yet you know, do not buy a plastic water bottle. My goodness, do not. Just go buy a good reusable water bottle. I have like, I'm not kidding you, Angie, but there's probably five in my fridge right now. And oh, we yeah, have about sure. 10 there in the house. Be. Yeah, because of the two kids. Mm-hmm. Like I just hand out water bottles when they're thirsty and refill them and stick them back in the fridge. They are so much better for the environment and do not buy plastic water bottles, please, at all, yes. ever. And that, and my, and my biggest shout out is go, especially this time of year here in, um, in the, in most, in the, in, in the U.S., it's our summertime. Go enjoy your beaches. Go camping. Mm-hmm. Just leave only footprints behind. Yes. All in, all out. Yep. Now, building up to Thursday's interview with Theo, the million dollar mouse project. So this is a story that's the complete opposite of the, the mice we were talking about today. And that is invasive mice and how they can be very harmful to the environment. So Theo went and just give you kind of a preview on the interview. He went on a monitoring trip down to the Antipodes, which is a subantarctic island about 800 kilometers off the coast of New Zealand. Very few people have ever set foot on this. It's the trip was crazy. I'm trying to get, I'll get pictures up of where he was. But in the 1800s, either sealers or a whaleboat or a shipwreck, a bunch of mice got on the island. That mice population grew up to about 200,000. Wow. And so what the whole million dollar mouse, yeah, it's crazy. So the whole thing with the million dollar mouse program is to eradicate the mice because the mice have been horrific to native wildlife, native birds specifically. And what Thea was looking at too was native insects. So it was a crazy trip. It's a great story. It's one of the things we're, we're combating here in New Zealand is we had the only mammals we had here were bats. And so mice have been doing really wonderful. Uh, a lot of these smaller predators, rodents, stuff like that. So anyways, stay tuned for that. But, you know, keep sharing this podcast with your friends. I see people doing it on Twitter and Facebook. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We have some great suggestions for animals. I know Angie's had a couple friends speak up, but if you do, send us send us a, a link. Um, we've had some great suggestions. We're putting them on the radar. So thanks for joining us, and we'll be back next week. Thank you, everyone. Listen, learn, share. Join the movement at allcreaturespod.com.